Welcome to the How to Be a TV Star podcast in association with Plop Entertainment. Welcome everybody to podcast three in the How to Be a TV Star podcast series. I'm Nick Piper in the studio with me, Derek Sue. Hey Nick. How's your TV watching going? Oh, it's going great. <laughs> but you're I, driving your poor missus mad, are you? Uh, well, luckily, um, yeah. <laughs> well, we won't talk about that. All right. Well, for those of you who tuned into the last podcast, you'll realise that we were talking about the important subject of watching television to analyse television. And um, that was the first step in regards to your research. And tonight, we're going to give you the second step in regards to the amount of research you should do. And that is the feature subject for today, which is what... Building a contact list. What do you mean by that, Nick? What do I mean? Okay. At the end of the day, you're going to learn how to be a TV presenter. You're going to need to put the tools of the trade together. And those tools, of course, are a good showreel, a good resume, an outstanding headshot. And you need to be sending it to people who are ultimately going to be in charge of employing you. Now, a contact list is much like a, uh, what do you you call those, um, like a palm pilot or electronic address book? Don't you have something fancy to keep addresses in? Little black book. Little black book. (laughs) Little black book. For those of you, sometimes I think you keep it on your laptop, like a a contact list and some of you on the mobile phone. It takes a while to get that contact list together. You just don't all of a sudden have a million friends. You build it up over the years. And much the same with a contact list. Ideally, what you need to do is you need to sit down with a a journal, a blank page, um, Excel spreadsheet, and you need to type at the top, people who are going to be responsible for my employment as a TV presenter. Because all the research you're doing, watching TV, finding out a little bit about the business, at the end of the day, it's not so much about your talent, it's about who out there knows about your talent. Now, the people that you need to get in touch with vary, but I'm going to cover the basic four areas. Number one, the networks. Number two, casting directors. Number three, production companies. And number four, agents. Number one, the networks. You need to be sending a showreel to the networks because at the end of the day, they're the people who make TV shows. They develop ideas, and you need to make sure that uh, the head of programming, head of entertainment, um, the head of uh, production knows that you exist. Now, number two, casting directors. These are the people who make decisions about who gets a certain commercial and who's put forward for a hosting role on MTV or Channel V, and they need to know you exist. Production companies. Well, they are responsible for independent production outside of the network. So, again, they're not necessarily going to give you the job, but if you're in the back pocket of a certain producer at a production company, they will be responsible for suggesting you as possible talent to the networks. And... Number four, agents. The majority of you out there do not have representation. You need to secure representation. You need to send your showreel, your resume, your headshot out there to agents so at least you can find some representation through those means. Building that contact list is basically finding out who in the networks, who are the casting directors, who in the production companies, and who are the agents to put down on that list. And there are three ways we address this. How, why, and what. I'm going to throw this across to Derek because I know that Derek's done a lot of this. Derek is extremely meticulous with all of his research. How do you find out contact details from any of those four choices? How do you find out contact details from networks, casting directors, production companies and agents from your experience? Uh, Look, before... Before I knew about the existence of specific directories, I, I actually joined uh, Actors Union. 
Great idea. Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance here in Australia. There's one for every uh, market, every country. Yeah. There usually is, is an actors' union. Yeah. And they provided, when I joined, they provided the uh, the list for agents, but it was only agents. Right. Uh, in terms of the network, the producers and all that, I've just recently found out about the, uh, the Encore directory. Um, in Australia here. Yeah. There's also another one called The Production Book, which we recently got a hold of. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And we are, they were very nice. They've actually... Uh, they've, we've got the uh, the latest one, the 2007, so that's fantastic. That's uh, but, but basically, it has a list of everyone in the industry, so you know who's doing what, mm-hmm. and uh, you can always use it as a cross-reference, because if you're watching a TV show that you want to be on, and uh, you're looking at the details on, on, on the credits at the end of the show, you can always cross-reference it with this manual. You can find out who, who you can talk to, you get the phone numbers, yeah, exactly. and actually start making contact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And another great way to find out contact details of the people who will be in charge of your employment is simply to watch television programs, as we suggested last podcast, but to fast forward to the end credits. Because when those credits roll, you'll find out that there is an executive producer, a network executive producer, and a production company that are usually listed in those end credits, who then you can note down. Now, we're not actually talking about making contact, because that will come at a later date. All we're getting you to do is obviously watch television to 20 or 30 minutes per day, and if you see a contact detail or a name or a contact email or a website, just make a note of that in your contact list, and after about a year, you'll find that you have a huge number of contacts. Now, there is some bad news here because it's it's an ever-changing business. Personnel move, the titles change, it's organic. So your contact list needs to be maintained on a regular basis. So once you've got a full contact list, don't sit back and rest because you need to be constantly updating that. So that's the how. How to find out contact details. As Derek said, join an actors' union. Source personal contacts through networking and friends and colleagues. Check network or production company websites. A simple Google search will take care of that. Monitor the end credits of your chosen TV shows. And you know what the simplest form of doing this is picking up the phone and making calls. So if you see a certain show and it's produced by a certain network, um, pick up the phone, call the network, and simply ask, excuse me, but can I get the contact details of the person who's in charge of employing TV presenters? Now, you might get a single name, you might get a title, you might get a department. Find out what the best way is to get in contact with those people. Don't go crazy. Don't make contact at that point, because what are you going to say to get put through to the executive producer? Hi, I'm a TV star, and I've listened to Derek and Nick's podcast. Can I have a job? (laughs) Because they'll ask for your reel, your headshot, your resume, and we are not touching on that at this point. So that's the how. Why? Well, I've kind of explain that you need to know who's going to employ you You need to know at the end of the day the people there'll be a list your contact list is going to be stuck up on your chalkboard on the wall in front of you at your little workspace at home and you are reminded constantly the sooner you get those names of the people in charge in your head it just solidifies your aims and goals and ambitions it gives you sort of a target what contact details do I need? Look, at the end of the day, you need to find out the easiest and the less stressful way that your details and your your um, your tools of the trade can get to these people. Now, we all know with technology moving the way it is, things can be sent electronically. Email addresses are far more intimate but far more accessible than they used to be. But uh, the information that you obtain from networks, casting directors, production companies and agents... 
the, the only reason why Derek and I aren't actually uh, suggesting names and suggesting emails, and certainly with our resources, we don't put any contact numbers or people on our website so you can access, is that the relationship you build with your contacts is just as important as the contact details themselves. It's probably more important. It is, it is more important. And, this yeah. is a, and, and in, any, in any job that you want to go for, whether you're just trying to get a job at McDonald's or whatever, it's always going to be obviously better that you know who's working there, who's the manager there. Mm. And this is exactly the same in this industry. And uh, in, any, in any work, uh, it's been said that 85% of the reason why you get a job is because of your people skills or your relationships, that you, how well you handle people. So yeah. it's even more so important in this industry. No, I completely agree. For example, um, I would never give... I don't think I have... I might have given you a few contacts, but very rarely we, do we exchange contact details, do we? No, we, we keep it very private. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. It's because I would have built up a relationship with a network executive. He knows me by my first name. He knows when my birthday is. He'll send me a card for Christmas. But if I give you that guy's contact details, it... it there's no connection there. You need to develop that connection yourself, which is why it's important to do this groundwork yourself. You can't, you don't necessarily buy a relationship. You buy the contact details, but you need to build that relationship along. Yeah. Okay. How, why, and what? Now you know. Good start. We're, moving on. We're going to learn all more about the building relationships later on. I, you know what? I can't. I can't wait for these guys to sort of be taking over like like we are. All this information is just priceless, people. You know, take it and run with it. All right. Time for fact of the day, or fact of the week, or fact of the podcast. The most popular animated TV series is Matt Groening's The Simpsons. That's pretty amazing. I remember when this first came out. Was it back in 1990 or 1989? What were your first impressions of it when you watched it for the first time? Um, yeah, I really liked it. It was uh, really good. I tried to uh, come out with my own cartoon character. It didn't take off. <laughs> Derek Simpson. Uh, do you want to sort of elaborate on this, or should this be something that's best sort of buried in the past? Look, I, I'll tell you, the highlight of it was that I did make some T-shirts and I sold some at the university I was at. That was the highlight. Ever the entrepreneur. Ever the entrepreneur. <laughs> um, when I first watched The Simpsons, I didn't like it much. And this is, this is an interesting sort of way how The Simpsons has developed over time. Have you noticed that if you watch the first or second series, Bart's the central character. Homer is very much now the focus of The Simpsons, and the humour, I think, is far more adult than it used to be. Yeah, I haven't really. I, I watched it right at the beginning, but now I don't really. I don't really watch. I've I've kind of moved on to those other type of. I know family, what you're going to say, Family, family Guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I look. I still think The Simpsons is a lot better now than it used to be. But it's interesting. It's the most popular animated TV series um, in the world. So good on you, Matt Groening. I'm sure you're very happy about that. Okay, now we're up to the uh, the readers' letters. We've got two again this week, and we've got one. Uh, Tamlin Peterson has asked. I have a degree in television journalism and I'm finding it virtually impossible to break into the field. Companies won't employ me as I don't have experience, but how do I get the experience if I don't get employment? I can't even find a place to do an internship or volunteer. I'm living outside Melbourne as well. I was wondering if you will be holding a seminar in Melbourne. Thank you for your time and I look forward to hearing from you. Well, the great thing, Tamlin, about podcasting is that no matter where you are in the world, you can pretty much the best information on TV presenting I think available and you don't even need to leave your hometown so that's answering that um, 
in terms of seminars, etc., we'll be obviously giving you some updates regarding any seminars or any new resources or products that we, we do put out. But let's let's address a very interesting point that you put up in your letter. How do I get experience if I can't get employment? And this is something we hear a lot, don't we, Derek? Of people who go to agents and say, look, I want you to represent me. And the agent will say, well, we, we need someone who has some kind of commercial experience. And then they say, well, we, I don't have any, and I won't get any unless I have an agent who will put me forward to a job to give me that sort of experience. It's a very vicious cycle to get stuck into. Look, I'll tell you this, Tamlin. Sometimes the people who get the jobs, who get the breaks, aren't necessarily the ones who are the most talented. The people who are persistent enough to keep getting themselves back up off their knees and no matter how many times a door is slammed in their face, they just keep on going. And you have to look at it as an analogy. I guess look at a marathon. Sometimes the runner who wins a marathon isn't necessarily the best athlete, but they are better mentally prepared than anybody else. Now, you're saying that companies won't employ me as I don't have any experience. I'm finding it virtually impossible to break in this field. What I'd really like from you, and I don't expect you to do this, but this is a question all of you need to ask yourselves, is are you doing everything you can to get that opportunity? Now, you might have tried for six months, and Derek and I certainly have cases of people emailing us saying, I've been trying to get into this business, I, I, I'm finding that all doors are shut, I'm, I'm going to give up, and we find out later that they've been doing it for about six months. You need to give yourself six years in some occasions, in some circumstances, before you'll get your first break. Um, in terms of employment from companies, companies sometimes have waiting lists of several years. So you need to maybe downsize your ambitions. You need to maybe go to slightly smaller companies. Uh, having a degree in television journalism means that you're actually armed and ready to go. Try to create your own opportunities. Maybe that's something that you need to be doing. You need to be developing pilot shows and taking them to companies as opposed to waiting for a job opportunity to arise. I mean, one of the uh, things that just came to my mind was uh, community television. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of success stories from people just starting out in community television, much like community radio or any or anything. I think that, uh, that I don't, you haven't mentioned that, so I'd, I'll check that out as a as a one way of getting experience. And people are less keen to volunteer for free, and in some cases with community television or access television, certainly a lot of positions that are held there are for free, but the the return on your investment of time and energy is just a huge learning experience in making contacts. So I think that's not to say, I, look, we understand the situation you're getting in, but if you're doing a nine-to-five job, which maybe is not in television journalism, then you can devote a few spare hours every day or every weekend to community television and at least still be working within the business. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I just uh, picked yeah, yep. up there was mm. that, um, yeah, we we probably won't be holding a seminar in Melbourne, but we do have the DVDs of the one that we held in Sydney, that's the Your Big Break series. Yes, and we'll be talking about those in depth. Yeah, we'll, we'll be covering a bit of that later on anyway as well. All right. Um, okay, second question. Angie, she asks, what is the best place to look in the UK for a job? How do you make yourself stand out? And is there a certain look that you need to be as a presenter? Well, look, let's let's get rid of the second part of that, uh, how to make yourself stand out, because we will be talking about that and, and we will reference that in the late podcasts. Um, the best place to look for a job in the UK, look, this is something that we get a lot of. We get a lot of people from all parts of the world going, look, I don't know where to find a job. At the end of the day, the responsibility falls on your shoulders. You have to do the groundwork yourselves. You have to build a contact list. You have to watch TV. You have to find out who out there is creating, who out there is providing, and who out there is producing. Um, 
We we have a basic structure in place, certainly with how to be a TV star and the products and the resources and the philosophy we sell, and that is, as long as you do your research, you will have answers to almost every single question, and the best place to ask is people who are already working in the industry. They are a goldmine of information. They are a source of all your inspiration, and it's what we call here at How to Be a TV Star a free lunch. In other words, if you buy someone a free lunch, if you make contact with someone and say, look, you know what, I'm going to take you out to lunch, it may cost you, I don't know, 50 to 100 American dollars, but if you can talk to uh, someone for an hour who works in the business, that is where the information will just come in spades. And Derek and I have made contact with a lot of people over the last couple of years, haven't we, mate, with all our resources, producers, executive producers. And done, we, done a lot of free lunches. We have done a lot of free lunches. And would you not say that the experience that that we have gathered and the information we've got from them has just been absolutely priceless. No, oh, it has been. Has been. Uh, I mean, I just look back some of those the, the ones that we filmed, mm. and uh, yeah, there's just so much great information. Yeah, definitely. All right, so Angie, anyway, best place to look for a job in the UK, you need to find that out yourself. You need to do that research. But I can almost tell you now, your research is going to uncover places, for example, like um, uh, certain broadcast magazines. Right, certain broadcast websites, if you make contact with the major networks or the BBC, they do have a human resources and employment um, department that you can make contact with there. Their website is fantastic, bbc.co.uk. Um, they have commissioning and employment opportunity um, pamphlets and fact sheets, etc. Is there a certain look that you need to be in order to work as a TV presenter? The profile of a TV presenter 30 years ago would have been a gentleman, would have been predominantly male, Grey head, maybe a moustache, in a suit. We never saw him from the waist down. He sat behind a desk. He was BBC trained and probably had six to eight years of journalism behind him, a degree in media and communications. Nowadays, a profile of a TV presenter, modern day, is what, Derek? What do you reckon? It's basically anything. <laughs> anything and anyone. Any age, size, um, creed, colour, religion, look, experience. So the question for that is anyone can present nowadays I think but the important thing to remember Angie is that if you want to be valuable to a network or a producer or an agent you actually need to know how to do the job properly and it's all very well being funky and funny and have a funny costume speak in a silly accent and be witty but at the end of the day a director needs to know that his presenter can perform the lines in the time allocated without any great fuss or bother so the answer to that is any look will do for a TV presenter. And I don't know what you look like, Angie, but if you're determined enough to make it, I think you probably know already where you're going to be uh, aiming and targeting your interests. Okay, guys, if you have any other questions, please do send us an email at askus at howtobeatvstar.com. That's A-S-K-U-S at howtobeatvstar.com. Now, also, one last thing. Don't forget, we do have our special offer for the How to Be a TV Star Home Study Program. Mm. It contains like 12 DVDs, uh, the workbooks. We talk to over 25 industry professionals so you can get information from all aspects of the industry. Really great resource. Make sure you do check that out. Yeah, that's awesome. at the uh, howtobeatvstar.com. Now, uh, that's all from us uh, this January, so thanks for listening. This is uh, Derek Sue. I'm Nick Piper. And uh, you've been listening to the How to Be a TV Star podcast. See you next time. See ya.